Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and so much more on the entertainment edition of the ODPH Podcast. So remember to join in the conversation because we want to interact with you. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? You go to OchoDuroParleyHour.com. You join in on Facebook. You join in on Twitter. You join in on Instagram. Or you just leave some reviews on Podchaser, which we do like those five-star reviews. Got a lot of them lately. And remember to use the hashtag ODPH when you're in the conversation. Kicking off this edition, though. Have to talk about the biggest entertainment story going on right now, and that is the return of the Umbrella Academy to Netflix. Yeah. Now, this show had a lot of hype going into it. We previewed it a little bit last week. I tried going spoiler-free as much as possible because I wanted to go in this with a fresh take. I know Pat has not seen it yet. We'll start it very shortly. Right. So I'm going to try keeping this spoiler-free as much as possible because I don't want to ruin it for Pat. Mm. And I really want to just kind of deep dive into why you should watch it if you haven't. I can only imagine the Netflix numbers are booming right now. I could, yeah. No, uh, we don't really know because uh, unless it's ridiculous numbers, Netflix usually doesn't give numbers out. But I would imagine they're doing very well because I've seen the last couple of days. It's, you know, with the Netflix trends mm-hmm. uh, chart, it's been trending number one in the U.S. since it came out. Right. And I have just heard nothing but rave reviews from other podcasts, other listeners. In general, it has been a success coming out the gate. So the Gerard Way comic with Gabriel Bay uh, debuted in 2007, like we talked before. 2008 was the sequel, Dallas. Uh-huh. And they just came back in 2019 with Hotel Oblivion. So they do have some source material to work with. Season one, they left us with a very unique cliffhanger of where the team is going, and we're dealing with time travel. So that's where we step into right now. We are going to be talking some spoilers, possibly. So if you really are trying to duck anything Umbrella Academy, I'm going to try keeping my best to keep it spoiler-free. But you have been forewarned because we're going to deep dive into it in three, two, one. So what did I think? I enjoyed this a hell of a lot better than the comic. Oh, really? Oh, my God, yes. See, that's surprising because I know for a lot of people, when it, when it comes to adapting something, be it a comic or a book or even a video game, there are some people that like there's, there's kind of two schools of thought. There's the people who want to see a, a verbatim word for word adaptation and if it's anything less it's heresy right you know or there's the other school of thought where it's like yeah you know what as long as they get the general story across i'm fine if they cut out some you know minor side story stuff you know what's a funny thing is after i watched this uh nerdist actually ran a poll mm-hmm. on twitter and i reshared this with a bunch of our pod friends and it said rank the shows in order umbrella academy doom patrol mm-hmm the boys. Yeah, see, and I saw you tag me in that, and I was like, I can't answer. I haven't seen any of them. Oh, you're missing out. And what I thought was very interesting is just from a few of our different pod friends, where's the amount of people that said, I didn't like the comic, mm-hmm. but I love the show, and were very uh, critical, and, and rightfully so. Sure, it's sure, sure. Of Gerard Way's writing, which sure. I fully see their points when they're bringing it up, because for me, he is basically a clone of Grant Morrison. Mm-hmm. And if you know my love-hate relationship with Grant Morrison, yeah. I love when he starts a story. 
I love when he gets about midway through. I don't think he can end one very well, in my opinion. Sure. I'm looking at his Batman run. I'm looking at his X-Men run, which how messy was that ending? Yeah, yeah. So he does come up with some great concepts. I mean, Damian Wayne is a Uh prodigy of Graham Morrison. Uh We've seen what he did when he made the X-Men mutant public. Sure. And just the storylines that went there, even doing the almost sacrilegious storyline of Cyclops having a mental affair with Emma Frost. Sure. Just doing stuff like that and just giving new energy to franchises. He does a great job with this. Don't get me wrong. I just think a lot of times, though, when he goes to the endings, it's like, wait, wait, where are we going? Mm -hmm. So Gerard Way, though, is almost like a clone of him. Like I say, he writes in the same vein. So I can definitely see that a little bit, too, even though like when they get a a property like Doom Patrol, which they both done work on, and I think that's fantastic, they have a little more creative freedom, I think, Okay, in my opinion. Because let's face it, Doom Patrol franchise, you can really go some places with characters, and you're not going to get such a reaction as, okay, we're going to give Batman a son. Sure. And where it goes from there. So I think that for Gerard Way, I think his Doom Patrol has been very good uh, mm. with those characters because, let's face it, they're weird, a weird, weird, weird version of the X-Men. Probably more freakish than anything you'll ever see, but they're fantastic. The Umbrella Academy, to sum up the book, is basically a broken X-Men. Sure. It deals with a lot of fractured, mentally damaged people with superpowers. And... It translated very well in season one on Netflix. I have to say, it was, I don't want to say it was like almost panel for panel, but there was a lot of similarities. Sure. So, after that being said, I did reread Dallas. Dallas is an okay story. Like, I, I recommend it if you liked the first run of Umbrella Academy, the comic. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see a lot of similarities, though, between the show and the comic in Dallas. Sure. So, you have to kind of take that with you know, some forethinking. Because Dallas definitely goes in a lot of different directions. How it ends is definitely not the same as the TV show. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think that that's why I like the show a little better than I did the comic. Because where we jump in is the team has escaped from their current timeline because number five has used his time travel powers to go back and reset where they made their big mistakes. Sure. So Aiden Gallagher resumes his role as number five, and he winds up landing in 1963, I believe, at the start. And what we find out is the team, when they went back in time, were displaced all throughout a three-year window, it seems, Mm. from the 1960s to 1963. Gotcha. So when number five arrives, and this has been the big trailer that's been shown on the TV, Mm -hmm. that – him and the rest of the Umbrella Academy are now fighting an invasion from the Soviet Union, and you're seeing the team unified, sure. which you have never seen except for when they were kids in season one. So you're seeing everybody use their powers, including Vanya, played by Ellen Page. And this is one of the first times we've seen this, and then we saw how Five gets an offer by Hazel, who is an assassin that was hired to kill them in season one, mm-hmm. winds up saving him. Because he says if you want to really stop the apocalypse from happening because nukes are coming to bomb the United States at this point, right? come with me. And he does. So what we find out at this time is the team had been all separated when they went back in time. Mm-hmm. So Tom Hopper, who plays number one, a.k.a. Luther, he is the one that has super strength. He's like the Superman of the group. Mm. He is now a uh, muscle slash uh, enforcer okay. for Jack Ruby of Infamy 
involving the Kennedy assassination. So they kind of teeter around that scenario, too, because they do dive into the JFK assassination a little later in the season. Dave Casanetta, who plays Diego, who we said is like the Batman of the group. Um, Okay. He's a vigilante. He's very good at throwing knives. Um, he can definitely. It almost seems like he has like a, uh, control of them. He wakes up and he is in a mental institution. <laughs> so it, it's kind of a very unique storyline going on with him. Emmy Raver Lappin, who plays Allison, who does the uh, power persuasion. The I heard a rumor. Right, right, right. She has now married and she's fighting for civil rights with her husband in Dallas at this time. Right. And she now has her voice back, which they do explain because she did lose it in okay. season one. Uh, you'll find out why when you watch it. Then we go to Robert Sheehan, who plays Klaus, who might be everybody's favorite character. Uh, he basically goes through this timeline and becomes a cult leader by accident completely mm. because he can see the seance with because they all come the seance in the comic right and he does have that power to control the dead and and, okay. and do do a lot of cool stuff but in the comic in the show too he's so over the top in his antics and he has his substance abuse issues it's a very cool storyline to play off mm-hmm. a little bit so there is that going on then we get to ben who is joining the timeline who actually has one of the better storylines this time around because he is the dead brother of the family. Uh, Justin Mim, who plays him, actually gets a lot more to do this season. And he came back with him, which we weren't sure if it was going to happen because he is a ghost. Right. You find out a little more of his story this season than you did last season because they have always teetered around what happened to him and why he's dead because nobody really talks about it. We do get a conclusion to that this season. Okay. Um, they don't go into a lot of details, but you under you find sure, out what happens sure. to a degree. So I think that's going to play a little more into next season. So where they go from this is number five is trying to basically work his way to getting his team back to their present time and fix the timeline. And it is a lot of time jumping around, which love it or hate it, it is what it is, uh, which they do a little bit in the comic, but they didn't really go through as much as they did this season mm-hmm. because – Everybody seems to be going through their different timelines where number five is trying to make their play to go back. And what happens is he does come across the big bad this season, who it was kind of a weird playoff because, as as we see last season, Kate Walsh, who is playing the handler, mm-hmm. who is the head of the commission, who is five's boss from when five goes into the future and jumps around because that's, that's what he does. Mm. Uh, but he's also a 58-year-old man stuck in a child's body. Right. So, it's kind of a little weird thing that happens, but hey, comics. Mm-hmm. The handler is the major bad this season because that she's trying to track down number five and get her get him to fall back in the fold, but also influence the time uh, control that she has and really establish that she's the one running the shots. Uh. So at one point, she does send a, t- a trio of Swedish assassins mm-hmm. to go kill number five. And the one thing that is kept up very well this season is the great action sequences. I can't, okay. I, can't, I can't stress that enough. When they get into those crazy battles, yeah, they really get into the crazy battles. And I do love that fact about it. We do get introduced to some other characters along the lines, too, because we don't have Hazel and Cha-Cha coming back this season. Okay. You'll, um, if you see season one, you understand why. And, number two, and they do explain Hazel very quickly in this season. Sure. But we do see that we do have another character by the name of Lila, who is played by Ritu Arya, okay. uh, who is also in the Mental Institute with Diego. 
and how she comes along with the team. And there's a lot more to her story than meets the eye okay. that they do delve into as the season goes on. But where they're going, there's uh, the one thing I guess I would say is maybe a little kind of drawback. Uh, there's a couple different storylines going on at once. But everybody does get enough equal time, but it does get a little confusing at times because when you're trying to focus on what number five's mission is, mm-hmm. they also start tying in a little more of the JFK assassination because during this time, they're finding out that their father, quote unquote, is alive during this time. Mm. So Calm Friorn, who plays Sir Reginald Hargraves, is alive. Obviously, he's back in time. And he is on the grassy knoll during the JFK moment. So they're all assuming Diego is the one who's really driving this point that he is responsible for the assassination or there's something with it. Why is he back in time? And even they have a very unique run in Uh where Diego almost gets killed by him. Sure. Which is kind of a it's a wild scene that happens. Uh But it also delves into the reaction of seeing their father alive, because at this point they've all gone back in time. They're all dealing with what has happened, except Vanya, who the one similarity from the comic to the show is she still has amnesia. Ah. So she doesn't remember all the stuff she did season one, which is kind of a weird moment when she meets the rest of the family. Like Especially Uh there's a moment with Luther that when she meets him, it does not go along as things are planned. But we do see some cool moments like how uh, Reginald Hargreaves is starting his establishment – of working with the commission and working to basically establish where he is when we find him in season one. Uh. We do see Pogo back, uh, which is always cool, the talking monkey that uh, will win your heart over in season one. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, I, one of my favorite characters we see. But we obviously see a different version of this time. And we see Grace uh, as well, too. So there are some returning characters. But along with the new characters of Kate Walsh, like we really see the handler really deep dive and really establish her presence in the show because when it's the power play for the commission, she is definitely playing chess a lot with the characters on the show. At one point too, she offers the deal with number five. Well, if you do this, I'll get you home. And then you see what happens if he takes the deal or he doesn't. And then the ramifications from that. So they definitely keep the story moving, which I really did like and how it ends there is a, a lot of people, I guess, could say they have a little controversy with. Okay. I don't want to say it's it's full controversy, but anytime you're dealing with time travel uh-huh. and you reset the timeline here and there, what happens, Pat? Nothing good. Right. So there is a lot of that going on. And with number five, you do know that he has time powers. Uh-huh. How much of it's explained, I guess, is up to your interpretation. Uh-huh. Because he does something later in the show that I go, I didn't think he could do that, but he does it. And it definitely does a lot of retconning for a few of the episodes prior, uh-huh. which isn't a cop-out. I don't want to think that it's just a quick excuse by the writers to fix things. It isn't because it makes sense in the storyline. And it really drives home his his character and basically takes a lot from how he was written in Dallas uh-huh. and applies it to the show. Just the only thing that will get confusing is when you deal with multiple versions of timelines, Uh you also deal with multiple versions of people. And when that comes into play, that gets a little confusing because you will see that happen in this this series. It doesn't take anything away from the overall vibe of the show. Okay. Because they really keep the story moving. Like there isn't any too many uh, parts that are dragging. 
and they feel a little redundant, mm-hmm. you know, and just overplayed. I, I think maybe you could say, uh, like, I don't even want to say Vanya's story, but they go back to it a lot because where they find her is with amnesia. She's adopted by a family. And you see that she does have an effect on that family. And I know that it doesn't just go away right away. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a, that's a storyline that plays out through the entire season. So I don't want to say that that's not going to have any ramifications because how they left it at the season finale, right? it's definitely going to play a factor in season three. I'm fully convinced of that. But for where the team is at this time, we definitely see a lot of different versions. And the one all-star of this season, in my opinion, is Ben, the dead brother, who has one of the best moments in the entire two seasons of the show. Because when all else fails to stop an incident from happening, Mm -hmm. because there are multiple ones that the team is really – trying to prevent because like I say you go back in time you cause a new timeline there's new conflicts there's a new situations you have to deal with when it comes to play about stopping the assassination of JFK we find out that there's a little more details than what Diego thinks and once that is turned into reality and the team knows what they need to do you really see Ben step up and it's one of the most heartfelt moments of the show Mm. like it will hit you and you'll be like damn that was an amazing acting job like i said justin mim who really hasn't had a lot to sink his teeth into Mm -hmm. has this moment in the show and you're going i get why he's so important now because he's always been the angel on klaus's shoulder Mm -hmm. that klaus never listens to and if he did he'd probably be doing a lot better but when Ben gets his time to really shine, mm-hmm. you understand like why he's so important to the team, and it's amazing. So with that all being said, where they leave the season off, they definitely set it up for a cliffhanger. Okay. I'm going to give our listeners fair warning, though. If you have not read the current season or series of Hotel Oblivion, the last Umbrella Academy book which came out in 2019 – you might want to watch the show first before you read it. Okay. Because what I have been told is there is a lot of Hotel Oblivion that is in this series, Hmm. especially the ending. So I'm going to advise you, if you have not read it and you're planning on reading it, watch the show first because I don't want you to have it ruined by going to the comic first. And then you're already a step ahead of what they might be doing with season three. Because it is a great ending. I will say that. They completely set it up for a cliffhanger ending. And it makes perfect sense because, like I say, you deal with time travel. You deal with multiple versions of characters. Uh And they definitely throw a big curveball at you that really hits you. And it it makes you want to see the season happen immediately. Which I think is probably the biggest compliment you can get from a show. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, because overall, I really enjoyed the season. Like I said, I think I kept it vague enough for you. But, Pat, let me ask you this. With what I've said, what do you think of the season so far? Just going off of what I said. Sounds really interesting, and I'm really looking forward to get uh, digging into it. Yeah, I I think that you would like it. I mean, especially if you're a fan of the X-Men franchise, this is a more damaged version. But how the characters really shine on this show, it's a whole new light on them, which I liked. Like you see a lot of character growth in the show. Like more importantly, like Ben 
has arguably grown leaps and bounds. And I know that everybody is going to say, mm. well, you know, he was a ghost in season one. You can only do so much, et cetera, et cetera. He has arguably one of the best seasons. I think number five has one of the best seasons. And you can really tell the tone of the character as he progresses through. Right. I think you see a lot of character growth in Allison, too, who with her powers, it's always a delicate line to walk. And I know in the comic, it's always been rumored that she uses them a little more than she should. Mm-hmm. In the show, I thought they did a really nice portrayal with it and a really nice balance of her powers, too. And you can definitely tell that she's, through her, her history of her character, you can definitely tell that she's made mistakes with her powers and she's really trying to use them the right way. And she often tries not using them at all because I I think that she understands, like, the seriousness of her situation. How she is portrayed on the show mm-hmm. is a lot different than how she is in the comic. I mean, I'll even spoil something in the comic. Well, no, I don't want to do that for you. But let's just say this. She's a lot meaner in the comic mm-hmm. to Vanya than she is on the show. Um, when you obviously have seen season one, you'll understand why she'd be mean. And when you get to season two, you'll understand that she's not as mean as if you read in the comic because in the first opening issue of Dallas, Allison does something very mean to Vanya, who has amnesia at this point, Mm -hmm. and is very, very clear where she stands with her. Uh, At this point, though, Allison really has shown a lot of character growth, um, and where she is going to be next season is, is very interesting as well because now that she's back with the team and how their team is dealing with what has happened and where they are now in a new timeline per se, Mm -hmm. because let's face it, once you go back in time, it's a whole new timeline. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a really interesting dynamic for that team where they are now and for what they've gone through because they have one of – they go through a lot individually, and then once the team comes together, especially that final episode. Mm -hmm. The final episode – Stuff hits the fan, and you know that you want a big payoff. Uh-huh. You get that payoff. You get one of the wildest action scenes you're going to see anywhere, and a, a bunch of extras are involved. That's all I'm going to kind of say. Just keep it. How am I doing on my spoiler-free version here, Pat? Uh, I'd say very good. Okay, because I want to make sure you have like very little idea what's going on, but I want our listeners to have seen this episode or seen the series definitely know what I'm talking about. Because once you get the team finally united for the last stand per se, asterisk, question mark, this is where you really see the team shine and how they really have finally come together. Even though it's not the end of the story, it's still a moment to say that at the end of the day they're still a team and they're still that weird family vibe even though they're not because they are just seven of 43 children that mm-hmm. are born during this time. Gotcha. So it, it overall... It definitely gave a good sequel, if not better than the original run, which is very debatable, like I say. Right. For a lot of people that I know have watched season one, they love it, and, and they have nothing but high praise about it, which they should. I think season one was a great introduction. It almost follows the first story panel for panel for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some very big differences, though, um, throughout. But it's enough that it carried the same tone, the same feel as you read in the comic. Once we get to season two here, though, with Dallas, it's a completely different ballgame. And I can't say this enough. I love the show better than I did the comic for season two. That's good to know. Yeah, I mean, Dallas was okay. Dallas took a lot of different directions 
with keeping some of the same ideas for season two, but not enough to really say there was a true adaptation. Mm. So if you read the comic, or if you don't read the comic, rather, you're not going to be missing much, in my opinion. You're going to mm. miss a story that if you if you liked how they were written in the comics, yeah, you're going to definitely miss that. But if you just watch for the show, you'll definitely be satisfied with it, if not more so. I think that there's so much that they can definitely go with season three. Like I said, at this recording time, I have not read Hotel Oblivion, but I was told about the ending uh. Uh, in a chat. And I go, okay, well, that makes some sense because X happens, and that means that Y is going to happen. Either way, Umbrella Academy Season 2, you should definitely check out. I give one of my highest recommendations to. What you get is you get a lot of storytelling moments. You see a lot of character growth for a couple characters that really need it. And I cannot stress enough the growth of Ben, who we really finally get to see in one episode make up for two seasons. And he has a a true hero moment that you definitely are going to have a lot of emotions for. Mm -hmm. And then as it goes for season three, you're going to have a lot more emotions get kicked out from under you because of how they have it set up for the cliffhanger because the cliffhanger is excellent. It does borrow from Hotel Oblivion, though. So if if you've read that, like I say, I really recommend, and I can't stress enough, you need to watch the show first before you read the book because it's going to be a different story, but if you're trying to piece together where they are in the comics, you can't do it. It's almost like Walking Dead at this stage. Right. That there are a couple things here and there, but they've gone in a different direction. Either way, can't stress it enough. You need something to watch on Netflix. This is the show to watch right now. Watch season one, and then season two is only 10 episodes. And it's very short, too. It's only about 45 minutes an episode. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, so it's not bad at all. You can definitely get caught up on it quick. They do do a quick recap like most Netflix shows do. Sure. So if you don't see season one. But you'll understand as the team goes on, they do a good job of explaining when they arrive in Dallas each and how their characters adapt to the situation at hand. You definitely see a lot of character growth. You definitely get excited about seeing the show. And like I say, for where they're going to go for season three, it's a crazy cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. It's one that with everything you've seen in season two to where you get that final moment in season three, you're going to literally go, wait, wait, what? Mm Mm-hmm. I did. In fact, I've watched it twice already, and I had the same reaction. It is a fantastic series. I cannot rec- recommend it enough. Hit us up on that hashtag, though. Hashtag ODPH. Umbrella Academy Season 2. I kept it as spoiler-free as I can for you, so if I ruin anything, I do apologize. But let us have that conversation. Watch the series. Jump in on social media. Let us chit-chat. What did you like? What did you not? And where are you excited for Season 3? I definitely am. So let's talk. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. From the galactic depths of the comic book universe comes the ghosts of the stratosphere, ready to galvanize and energize your mind with the latest of comic book news and reviews. And why, why are you stopping me? Yes, that's much better. 
Hi, this is Andy Larson for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. Join me every week along with my co-hosts Rob Stewart and Chad Smith as well as a cavalcade of fantastic comic book guests as we dish out heaping helpings of the greatest and latest of comic book news and reviews. New shows posted every Tuesday with bonus shows every first Friday of the month. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher under Ghosts of the Stratosphere as well as on our website www.gotstratosphere.com Hope to see you soon, folks. Hi, this is Tyler from Second Suitor, and you're listening to the ODPH Podcast. I want you to get it. I want you to understand. I'm doing the best I can, but not as good as I want to be. I just want to get it. I just want to comprehend. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And let us talk some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We talked Netflix last segment. Let's talk about some ABC programming. Mm -hmm. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has definitely been carrying the Marvel banner on ABC for so long now. Yes. We're almost at the end game. Mm -hmm. See what I did there. Ah. And we are going to be talking about episode 10, Stolen. Yes. So we are going to be talking full spoilers. So if you have not seen the episode yet, we have given you fair warning. We are going to start deep diving into it in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? thought it was an okay episode. Uh, first, a little confusing because it felt like we were jumping in midway through the you know the episode story. But once I got my feet wet, I guess you could say, and understood, all right, here's what's going on. Got a little awkward, not going to lie, but not in a bad way. Yeah, definitely. This episode I thought was very good. Uh, the ending, how they kind of set it up, is a little crazy because yeah. I saw the trailer for next week. And anytime you see starships show up, yeah, it's never good. Things gonna get weird. But it's Shield. They want to definitely go out with nothing left behind because this is gonna be the series finale, mm-hmm. guaranteed. You might hear about some characters possibly rolling over to Secret Warriors, which I know has been rumored for Disney Plus. I know Chloe Bennett has uh, expressed interest in continuing playing Daisy Johnson. Well, we, if, if they do, they're bringing new costumes because the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Facebook page uh, the other day uh, posted they are doing an auction similar to the auction that was done for the Marvel Netflix series shows. So, hey, uh, if you got a couple thousand dollars laying around burning a hole in your pocket, try and win one of the Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. props. Yes, and if anybody would love to send us Max Shotgun Axe. Which is up for auction. It is. Uh, not going to say the price because it's a little hefty. Yeah, but if anybody decides to send us that actual item, we will shout you out every single episode and then some on the ODPH. Yep. So definitely something to think in mind if you definitely are interested in continuing the fandom of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. after the show is gone. But it's not gone just yet because this episode this past week definitely set some groundwork for the final battle, which is coming you have Nathan Malik and his team of Inhumans, Asterix by uh, it. Like, I, yeah. like, he's building a super team, and he does do some recruiting. Yep. And he finds a young John Garrett, uh-huh. who is very notable from season one, played by the late Bill Paxton, yep. uh, for really being the first major villain, shall we say, on that show. I know that there yeah. was a couple here and there, the one and dones. But this is where we had the full impact of when they did the big Hydra reveal. Yeah. And John Garrett was working with Hydra all along. And we got to give, you know, the folks behind the scenes a little bit of credit here uh, for casting James Paxton, who is Bill Paxton's son, as a young John Garrett. Yes. Which was awesome. That was a cool note that when we, as soon as we found out, like, oh, that's pretty cool. 
and he completely was almost like a young mirror image, which mm-hmm. is what you want because yeah. obviously if he's yeah. fulfilling that role, you definitely you saw the same charismatic charm. You mm-hmm. saw everything about him that you liked and you hated about Garrett when uh, he did the big reveal in season yeah. one. But now we finally see how Malik is recruiting him to become one of his super-powered soldiers and how he's saying, well, he's figured out a way to steal inhuman powers mm-hmm. and transfer them into people, which is a wild scenario. Yeah, it's not something I quite, as a hero I'd be real amped up for. No, definitely not, because Malik, who has not fully mastered the powers he stole from Daisy mm-hmm. a few episodes back, is now trying to find a way to steal powers and give them to other people. Yeah. So it's like if you haven't mastered your own craft, how are you supposed to teach somebody else? Yeah, it's, he's trying to sprint before he can walk. Yeah, which is uh, which is I think is going to be a big plot point when they get to the final battle. I'd say so, yeah. That he's going to overthink something, and that's what's going to cost him. Eventually. Yeah, he's going to overthink something where he's just going to like overestimate how powerful he is or how much in control he is. And he's going to try and go to do something, and he just can't do it when Daisy just goes, ha, joke's on you. Exactly, because... For Malik, he's all he's seeing is power, but power ultimately corrupts. Mm-hmm. So where it's going to find out, we just have to wait and see. But meanwhile, during this point, Shield is protecting Jaying, who they now have uh, with them in the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And this is the weird moment because Daisy winds up seeing her and finds out the true story about Cora, who is what Pat, mm-hmm. her half sister, her half sister. Yeah. Yes. So at this point. Daisy's world is turned upside down because now she's seen her mom because, let's face it. Well, so currently, Daisy's world is going through the spin cycle in the washer. Yeah, it's completely crazy. So now that Cora, or, uh, Jaying is staying with them and she's no longer at afterlife, mm-hmm. Coulson decides, well, we have to go back and uh, see what we can stop Malik from destroying afterlife. Which is a little kind of crazy idea because yeah. they really don't know what they're jumping into. No. But... Coulson knows what could happen if Malik has an army of Inhumans. Well, say they they barely know what they're jumping into when they time jump. They know even less of what they're jumping into now. Right, but this is where you see the Coulson of old show up. Yep. Clark Gregg has been running away with this season and really embracing the Phil Coulson charm that we saw in the Avengers run. Well, and I think he finally came to the realization, I can't remember if it was this episode or the one prior, where he's been trying to take this backseat role and kind of like, hey, I'm here if you need me, but like, don't come asking me any serious questions. And Mac kind of like doesn't he doesn't grab him by the scruff of his neck, but he kind of he kind of does where he's like, listen, cut the crap. We need Phil Coulson. We, yeah. we don't need you to you know stand on the sidelines playing cheerleader. We need you here doing what you do best. Well, for Coulson too, especially now that he's an LMD and getting used to life after death which Mm -hmm. is so it's so weird to say but it's so easy to watch on screen yeah it's so it's so interesting what they're doing but this is true to form of the shield comics like if you've ever read shield and nick fury from the 80s and 90s and and when lmds were introduced yeah you definitely get the vibe of like okay this is going to play the shield so this makes sense but for colson he's still getting used to it but he's the one that i don't want to think he thinks he's expendable but he's like well i'm a robot i can just get uploaded He's almost the one doing the crazy suicide missions. Yeah, he, he definitely sees himself as expendable and like, okay, hey, listen, I can run into this room and if something needs to blow up, it's not the biggest deal in the world because, hey, my brain my brain's uploaded and you can just download me onto another one. Yeah, which is which is, a, which is a good way to be like, okay, you realize that works in most instances, but heaven forbid 
you run into an instance where, hey, you're not going to be able to come out of this. Yeah, we haven't found that yet, but I fear that that is going to be coming as well, too. Like, they, they've been able to dodge so many bullets until they get hit. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be one that, as we're getting near the end, somebody is definitely going to have some changes happen to them. Oh, you would think. Yeah. But once we get to where Coulson and Gordon, who is the teleportating inhuman, mm-hmm. go back to afterlife, they are now met by Malik. Yep. And once they get captured... John Garrett gets the powers of Gordon and killing Gordon while this happens. So obviously if you get your powers via this transformation way, mm-hmm. you're going to die. Yeah. So Gordon is now killed off. So they have to now deal with a crazy Malik. Mm-hmm. They now have to deal with a teleportating and unstable John Garrett. Which is never good. Right. And Cora. So the chips are definitely getting stacked against our agents. Coulson, though, gets rescued and does get the other Inhumans out of Afterlife. So they do at least have an ace up their sleeve there because they did get to save most of the Inhumans that were there. Mm-hmm. When Yo-Yo comes in with Mac, and they do take Korra prisoner, though, which is a smart move to do because this kind of evens the playing field out, so to speak, because mm-hmm. Garrett is relying, or I mean, sorry, Malik is relying so much on Korra that they can't really do too much without her. Mm. But this also forces Malik's hand and everybody winds up having a meeting at the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. So this is where the episode I feel really picks up. Yeah. And really starts revving up the drama because during the whole attack on the lighthouse, Malik decides to be the guy that goes Mori Povich and says, Hey, Jaying, yeah, Daisy's your daughter, which is completely yeah, they were trying to avoid that in, like, the worst way possible because, hey, ramifications from giving out information in the past. I mean, it's the whole reason that, you know, people joke that Cap can't, you know, there's that. I forget which uh, site or YouTube channel did it, but they, like, follow Cap through history after yeah. he went and relived with Peggy Carter. And it, and she's, re- at one point, she's, you know, tie back in the first segment, you know, she's reading the newspaper. She's like, oh, hey, uh, uh JFK is visiting Dallas today. Oh, that should be pretty interesting. And, and Steve spits his coffee out. Yeah. You know, because, like, you can't tell anything, so they don't want to tell Jaying what's going on. But, hey, that kind of got pulled out from under him. Yeah, so once this happens, this definitely causes a rift between them. And Malik, during this whole battle, battle winds up killing Jaying. Yep. Which is a weird scenario, too, because Daisy now, like we said, has gone through a roller coaster of emotions already, mm-hmm. seeing her mom die now in front of her because of Malik definitely is going to build some tension for where they're going to go in the future. But Malik is definitely injured during this ordeal as well. But the major point that happens is they don't get away with Cora and Garrett tries. Garrett is the only one though that keeps the mission because he winds up kidnapping who one Jenna Simmons. Yeah. And how Simmons is so important to this mission that Shield is really in dire straits at this point. I'll say they're kind of like on the ropes, bottom of the ninth, two outs, you know, fourth and long. You know, pick your analogy. Right. But during this whole point, though, since Cora is still captured with Shield mm-hmm. and she's not with them, Shield has a bargaining chip that they want to try doing a trade back for Simmons. Mm-hmm. Since Simmons is now captured by yep. by Team Malik, as we'll just call them. Yeah. They can definitely try doing something there, which we did see the the tre- the preview for next week's uh-huh. episode, which you see Cora do a flip. Yep. So I'm sure when she comes out and hears that Malik left her behind, that's going to be the causing reason. 
But when you understand if Malik doesn't want to make the deal, it's because Simmons is very crucial to what his overall plan is. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Because she knows that, or he knows rather, that the one and only Leo Fitz Mm -hmm. can stop him. Yep. And Simmons knows where he is. She's the only person who knows. She's the only person. So the episode ends with that drop moment where, okay, we're finally going to see Fitz after 11 episodes. He is making his triumphant return, we think. But how they left it for the trailer, it's very exciting because Mm -hmm. we see uh, intergalactic Starfleet show up. Yep. So we can only assume it's the Kree coming in. Possibly. So we're going to see some old friends show up from season five would be my guess. And wherever Leo Fitz is, what state is he going to be in? Because remember, last we saw him, he was frozen uh, because it's he, confusing because time travel. And yeah, you know, it's it's a messy situation. He just hasn't that, been with that, the team. that famous gif of Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny, where he's connecting the dots and all that. Yeah, that that applies here. Yeah, so we'll just say Fitz has been away. Fitz is somewhere. Yes, but we're finally going to see him. But whoever else decides to join the party is going to be anybody's guess. So now with Cora, at least giving us the idea she's going to join Shield, unless this was all a master plan by Malik, that's going to be a huge addition to Shield. But is it really trustworthy? Because as you see, Shield has dealt with traitors before. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, I know we've been talking online about it a little bit. No indication of Grant Ward yet. Yeah. But mark my words, we will see him by episode 13. There's no way they're going to skip past him. I, I cannot see it being the final season, and we don't have a Grant Ward moment, even in a flashback. But overall, though, Pat, thoughts on this episode? Really good episode. Really enjoyed it, and can't wait to see the, the buildup to the final episodes. And should note, uh, we got the episode airing this week, and then the episodes next week are a two-part finale. So it's, it's back-to-back episodes 12 and 13. So that's going to be a big deal. So next week is the final swan song for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I know that there is rumor that we are going to be doing another team up with our friends at the East Coast Avengers podcast. So you'll have to stay tuned for that because after the S.H.I.E.L.D. finale, I think there's going to be a massive live tweet going on at OD Parlay Hour. You know our good friend Dre Driven is going to be involved in that. What up, Dre? You can find him at DreDriven83 on Twitter. And I don't doubt a few other podcasts are going to be jumping in for that Twitter fest. And then, like I said, you'll have to keep your ears out for the East Coast Avengers social media if we are going to be going back on there to talk some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. uh, in retrospect. So definitely a lot of stuff to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But, hey, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts about this past week's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? thought it was great. I thought they really amped up the drama and when Malik invading the White or the I almost said the White House, I'm still thinking Umbrella Academy, and taking on the Lighthouse and then stealing the Zephyr with Gemma Simmons captured, I tell you what, it's going to be a fun episode this week. So definitely hit us up. Let us know what you thought and where you think this week's episode is going to be. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book, Book of Lies, Lies, the podcast where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar, and learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies Podcast. You can connect with us on social media, 
Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, Facebook and Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast. Bye. This is Rich, the host of the Three Fat Nerds podcast and co-host of the Horror Zone 607 podcast. And you are listening to our hashtag 607 podcast brothers, the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Now kick it back over to Ken Moneybags and the crew. Coming back for the third segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and let's talk some DC Universe slash CW Stargirl. I want to say this is sh- uh, this show has been one that has flown under the radar. It is very, very good. Two episodes left until the big season finale, and then everybody moves to the CW next year. They're definitely going out on a strong note. I want to recap episode 12, titled Stars and Stripe Part 1. So let us get into it. If you haven't seen it, you know the deal by now. We give you the spoiler warning in three, two, one. So what did I think? Oh, man, did they ever build up for the season finale, Pad? Oh, yeah? I am definitely amped up for this. So as we've been going on from the lineage of Stargirl, Breck Bassinger, who plays Courtney Whitmore, has now come to Blue Valley and is reinventing the JSA, who has been long decimated from the Injustice Society and there's been so many moving factors of legacies taking over the roles of the heroes mm-hmm. and the villains, too, as we're seeing. And this one just has such the modern retro feel. I know I say it a lot, but I mean it. It is just one of those old-school storytelling superhero shows. You're not going to see any real deep damage characters, per se, like the Punisher. Uh, but they do go into some you know darker moments for their characters. Some very traumatic moments happen. We have seen that Brainwave has killed his son, that was in his way for mm-hmm. stopping Project New America. So they have delved into enough subject matter that it's not your average superhero show, but it's not so much that you're sitting there thinking you're watching Punisher or Jessica Jones mm-hmm. or Daredevil. It has its own vibe to it. I've really enjoyed it. This episode did not let me down because now we have the countdown in 12 hours that Project New America will get underway. So the Injustice Society has sent Sportsmaster and Tigress out to kill the Dugan family. So during this ordeal, you see that Sportsmaster has a face-off with Stripesy at the garage. And it's a very good fight scene, albeit though, I thought it ended very badly. Because Pat's uh, son Mike shows up and actually winds up saving Pat by actually using an electrical screw shoving it in Sportsmaster's back, mm. which it was something I was not expecting to see on CW. I know it's DC Universe, but still, hey, it happened. And then there's the long pause where, like, Pat picks up a metal pipe and gives him, like, the telegraph superhero final speech and then hits him in the face and knocks him out. Meanwhile, at the Dugan house, Tigress is running through and trying to take care of Barbara, and Courtney winds up making the save. So they do have open up very strong with some good action sequences, and I like how they really were establishing everybody, like how serious the, ma- the matter was. But once the Dugans survive this, they get everybody from the JSA, including Shining Knight, and they go to Pat's cabin in the woods to formulate what they're going to do next. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a weird thing. I was like, okay, well, he has a cabin in the woods. This can't go wrong. And obviously it kind of had like that horror movie kind of vibe to it. But obviously the stakes are very high, so they have to get regrouped and figure out, okay, how do we stop this? Meanwhile, I thought one thing that kind of took away a little bit is they haven't really touched upon the violinist who has been the principal 
of the school mm-hmm. and how she is working for the Injustice Society. They have a moment where they deal with her son being bullied. And this kind of seemed like it was forced into the show. Like, mm. we, we really haven't seen a lot to say, like, okay, well, this has been an important moment or this character has had a, really a lot to do. So I think it's a more, more so to do foreshadowing mm-hmm. for next year. But like I say, it just kind of felt very forced in. And I just, I like, I thought for being the season or one of the season finales, unless the, this character is going to have a big moment mm-hmm. for next year, like, did we really need it? I don't know. Like I say, it, it's nothing against uh, Hinana Khan, mm-hmm. who plays Anna or Anya, who is the principal, and the violinist who has the, you know, the, I want to say the hypnotic violin. But it was just kind of like, okay, where are we going here unless this is going to play out later on? So we'll have to wait and see about that. I thought it was kind of very distracting about this. Like between okay. that, between that, and they still emphasize Mike and his whining that he doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I understand why they do it. I'm not mad about it. It just kind of seems like it drags on a little too much with him. And it's nothing against the actor who plays Mike. It's just kind of like how the story is written, and it's like, okay, can we just speed this up? Like, yeah, I understand you don't know what's going on. We don't have to sit here and whine about everything. But I know I've talked to a few people online, and they do think he's going to wind up being a member of the Justice League when it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be kind of interesting when that all goes. Trey Romano is who plays Mike Dugan. It's nothing against how he's acting. He's definitely making the most of his character, but it just kind of seems like he's the whiny little brother that's forgotten about. Right. So maybe this plays on down the road, too. Like I said, that was like the only two drawbacks I really had about this episode. Right. Um, other than how Sportsmaster was defeated because, like I said, it was very underwhelming. Yeah. For how he was sitting there and he's, you know, the ultimate, almost like a, 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 a poor version of Deathstroke. Mm. Like he's supposed to be the physical you know, assassin can do anything like with basically mix Duststroke with Casey Jones. Okay. From Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fame. So like, that's why I say he's just a poorer version of him. Like you, you can definitely tell in how stripes he beats him so easily. It's mm-hmm. like, ugh, it defeats it. I will say though, they did have a redeeming moment because Anya goes to confront Tigress and Sportsmaster who go, who are set, who was sent there because Icicle says, well, make sure that Tigress and Sportsmaster doesn't screw up again. How do they return the favor, Pat? They kill her. Oh, boy. Yeah, Tigress takes her out. And uh, it's kind of like a weird scenario that, okay, they're also playing their own game, which you imagine most supervillain teams do. Like, not everybody is there for the cause. Everybody has their own agendas. Mm. So it is kind of a a unique scenario they have going and how that's going to play out next season. Maybe her son is going to take over the role. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Because they do have enough characters they can do a teenage Injustice Society at this point. Right. And I do love, though, during this moment, or during the show, too, they did have a moment concerning Shiv, who we still is locked in the basement of the Dragon King, and just how Meg DeLacy is sitting there going toe-for-toe with Christopher Baker, who plays Brainwave, and the back and forth. Mm-hmm. Just the snarkiness, the, you know, the just the trash talk. I love that sequence. I thought that they had a really good moment on the show. And how they've been really building Shiv out when she finally gets out of where the Dragon King has had her is going to be a huge moment on the show. Mm-hmm. I think like might not happen this season. It might be the tease for next year, but I'm still on board with it, and I still think what they're doing. One an, another aspect about the show, and I can't stress enough, is they do enough to invite new viewers in. Mm-hmm. It was very easy to follow what was going on with the story. Like they definitely explained everything very well. 
New America, you got a little more uh, info about because how much it involves brainwave. Right. I will say, though, and I, I did read this online, too, and I had to fully agree. Where they set up uh, New America and the room where brainwave is going to tap into the minds of millions and, mm-hmm. and take them over, it looked like it was straight out of the X-Men first franchise with Cerebro. Like the long okay. hall- hallway, the dome atmosphere. like, And this got pointed out online, too. And I was like, okay, I agree with this. It makes sense. And it was a very good situation to explain, okay, what Brainwave has to do to take over everybody's mind. And they do a test run, and it works. Mm-hmm. So it, definitely the stakes are that high with it. And they do throw a curveball, too, because once the team finally figures out the code, they, they were doing the story where Rex Tyler's diary was the key <laughs> to everything. And his son finally figures out the code with Stripesy's help. So they get the coordinates to where the big battle is supposed to happen. So you have the team break off, which I thought this pairing is kind of weird. So let me run this by you because I know you haven't seen the show. Okay. So you have Stargirl and Stripes. Yeah. So the Iron Giant, Cosmic Rod, Super Powered. They're one team. The other team that is invading um, through the Dragon King's house is um, Wildcat, mm-hmm. Our Man. And Shining Knight, who we don't know his superpowers, but he has a big sword. Yeah. The other pair that goes off on their own, who is trying to hack into the computers through where Barbara works, is Barbara and Dr. Midnight. Wouldn't you think you'd send somebody that has powers with Barbara and Dr. Midnight? I mean, one would think, but we often know in comic book movies and TV shows they don't always think. Yeah, like I thought that I thought they should have had maybe Shining Knight with them. But I understand why they did this, and they did explain it later. So I, I, I'm only going to take like maybe a little off from the episode for this because what is revealed is the plan for New America is when they take over the minds of everybody, it's for fully developed minds. So kids are not affected. It's basically adults and older. So that's why they had the pairing off because once the plan is finally unveiled, you see that the senior members of the group, Stripe, Barbara, and Shining Knight, are now under Brainwave's control, which cannot be good for anybody. Mm-hmm. And it is a cool setup that they have going forward with it. And where they, they get the drama is you see at the final end of the shot of the show, you see Stripe getting ready to hit Stargirl. So this is where we are at. The stakes have never been higher. And for all the other, I want to say, minor flaws they had with this episode, it definitely delivered on all fronts. Like, we finally got the full manifesto so to speak of new america where according to what the isa is trying to claim is they're going to eliminate any discrimination from the world they're going to stop global warming they're going to make it to they're basically selling a bunch of promises you know they're not going to keep and why the stakes are very high about this is even though this quote-unquote looks good on paper it's going to it cost at least 25 million lives to see if this hey, works. Hey. Yeah, because now Sheesh. with Brainwave, who we find out absorbed the powers of Brainwave Jr. after he killed him, mm-hmm. can now amplify his powers through, we'll just call it Cerebro just for oh, that's good. common sake, even that much more. So instead of taking over six states, they mm. take over the entire Midwest of the United States, like leaving just the states on the direct West Coast and just the states on the direct it's East Coast. It's a decent Coast. amount of land to bend there. It's a Ye- decent amount of land. Yeah, so they'll all be under the ISA control. So this is where the team has to step up and do this. There's a bunch of other cool little character moments in. But overall, though, I have to say, it ended with a great cliffhanger that you want going into the season finale. Mm-hmm. It definitely showed the stakes are never been higher. 
it gave enough family development that you see like the Dugan family is coming together. Mike now understands what's going on. Mm-hmm. So he's more willing to work with the team. Yeah. And except I'm fully banking. He grabs the magic pen. Mm. If you know anything about the JSA, you know who's involved in that. I think that you're going to see a lot of elements happen there that for the season, the season finale, I think they're going to end very strong. I know looking at this, Jeff Johns is the writer of the season finale, mm-hmm. so I'm expecting good things coming from this. And overall, like I can't stress enough how good this show has been. I really can't. Even for taking the JSA, who, let's face it, unless you're really into comics, you might know a couple members here and sure, there. Sure, sure. But you know the Jay Garricks, you know the Alan Scotts. I mean, to the mainstream fans, do they know Wildcat? Do they know Our Man, Dr. Midnight? But this show has really established a new generation for them. And I'm really excited to see where they go for this and how they end season one. I, I'm really excited to see it. And I'm just hoping that the magic continues for season two because mm. I know they do a lot of stuff with their special effects budget. I will say, though, some of the fight scenes in this, though, mm-hmm. you could definitely tell were over-choreographed over mm. with special effects. So I'm just wondering when they get to CW, how is that going to impact the show? Yeah, th- th- I get the feeling the special effects are going to take a little bit of a hit. Yeah, and I also wonder how much you'll see Stripesy in the suit. Right. That cuz you need him in the suit and they do an amazing job bringing that suit to life on the mm-hmm. show. But once you get to the CW budgets, I think you're going to have an impact with it. I really do. And that worries me a little bit. Sure. But I think if they can end on a strong note, who knows, maybe the CW will also share it to HBO Max, which could only help them. Mm-hmm. Either way, Stargirl, need to go watch it. Get psyched for the series or the season finale. God, I'm, I keep saying series cuz I'm talking Agents of Shield prior. Season finale is next week. Definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Whether you're watching on DC Universe or CW, what is your thoughts on this past week's episode of Stargirl? I loved it. Thought it was great. Great energy going into the last episode of the season. So hit us up. Let us know what you think. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Vince, the Common Man Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one-shots? Got a couple things to talk about. Not necessarily as many as the last couple weeks. It's been a quiet week, but a couple things to talk about. Uh, Yesterday, as we record, Disney had an earnings call uh, for investors and uh, pretty much anyone who wanted to listen, if you know where to look. It's not exactly a secret. Whenever they have one, if you do a Twitter search, Disney earnings call, you can usually find a link to listen into it. I know we were listening to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing huge uh, announced. A couple interesting things, one of which you might have seen. Uh, should note, there is going to be another earnings call at some point regarding Disney Plus stuff and announcements and what they're doing You know, for that going down the road, but no date announced. So uh, keep tuned in for that. Uh, however, some interesting things uh, announced during this uh, was that uh, it was announced that between 
uh, Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus, uh, they now have 100 million paid subscribers. Uh, for comparison's sake, because that it's you know just to compare, Netflix currently has 193 million subscribers, so Disney combined has 100 million, which is pretty good. Uh, Disney Plus itself, uh, as of Monday, reached 60.5 million paid subscribers. Uh, Disney CEO. The, the CEO of Disney said that one of their goals by 2024 was to have 60 to 90 million subscriptions for Disney Plus alone. So they hit that goal four years early. Nice. Holy sugar cookies. Jeez. That was insane. But you know what? When you have the Mandalorian and you yeah. have Hamilton, you're going to do something. Well, it, well, and especially when you have the entire backlog of Disney films, which don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great movies on that ser- on that service. But, and I love Disney movies, but one of the biggest drawbacks for Disney movies for years is the vault system where, yeah. you know, the movie comes out once every 10 years. And if you don't get it in time, you're out of luck for 10 years. You know, that works that works great, and especially with kids. You know, if you got kids growing up that they haven't seen maybe Sword in the Stone or Jungle Book or 101 Dalmatians, the animated version. It's a good way to introduce your kids to some of those movies. Uh, also announced in the earnings call was that they are launching a new general entertainment streaming platform overseas not uh domestically because we already have one kind of like this uh in 2021 under the star name brand uh disney ceo bob chapik didn't give too many details about it uh including which countries it would be launching in or pricing uh but he did note that it would include content from abc fx freeform searchlight and 20th century studios uh it will not carry licensed content so unlike Hulu, which I guess isn't overseas in some places, uh, it's going to be, it's kind of, it looks like it's going to be kind of like a Hulu alternative for other countries around the world. Uh, they were, didn't really say why they're doing this. My guess, and this is just my guess, uh, figuring out licensing and who can put what and who's got the rights to what while easy over here. Like I know the Harry Potter films are leaving HBO max and going to Peacock for most of 2021, probably relatively easy to figure out here. Hell of a lot harder. I would imagine to figure out overseas. So probably just going to doing it the easier way doing this. So that eh, I get it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the, it's always tough when you talk overseas contracts. Yeah. Uh, and then the big kind of bombshell that was dropped out of this earnings call was it was announced that Mulan, the upcoming remake of the uh, animated film, is going to be releasing September 4th in select uh, in some theaters. Uh, and then also in regions that don't have Disney Plus, but will be premiering on Disney Plus for a premium price of $29.99. Now, I know a lot of people were wondering, and mostly folks I'm friends with online that have kids, uh, is this a one-time deal or am I going to have to rebuy this? Because some kids may not understand the whole you buy it once and you got to watch it once and then you got to buy it again as is the case with some of these premium on-demand video movies that, you know, that weren't able to release in theaters or get a sure. full run in theaters. Uh, that is not the case. Uh, it was uh, IGN was informed that once Disney Plus subscribers pay for that premium fee for the film, they, it will remain in their library for the duration of the subscription of their subscription to the streaming service. That's good. So I, I know I had a bunch of friends wondering this, you know, online, like, what does this mean? I got kids who are going to want to see this more than once, and I don't want to have to pay thirty dollars every time they want to see it. You pay thirty dollars once, you get to watch it. And, you know, great, which will be great for you. And so it'll be interesting there. Disney was talking that this is going to be a one off. I don't necessarily buy that, given how up in the air the, the Hollywood industry and movie theaters are right now, where we don't quite know when things are going to come out or when things are going to reopen. You know, they might be testing the waters. Nothing has currently been said for uh, Black Widow, you know, so I could very well see this being a, a kind of 
litmus test for you know if they could pull if it does well with this they might do it with black widow i just find it funny that we're gonna get mulan on streaming or or out before new mutants Okay, a couple quick thoughts. Okay. Uh, one, I got to give a shout out to the Contrarians podcast. Okay. Fantastic podcast, too, by the way. Because uh, th- I know when that came up about $30 for Mulan and people were up in arms about it, I believe that they were the ones that said, How much do you pay for a movie ticket? Yeah, that's very true. And if you're going with a date or you're going with somebody else, because I mean, let's face it, a lot of us go to the movies with yeah. other people. Yeah. I mean, some go I'll by say, ourselves. I'll nothing. say, I, no, nothing wrong with that. I go with my girlfriend. For the two of us alone, it's $20 for a ticket, for two tickets. And then you, and then we both get some some refreshments and some beverages. So then there's another, you know, twelve fifteen dollars. So you're already talking thirty five plus dollars before tax, right? So when they brought up that point, I thought it was a brilliant point that they brought up that you're essentially buying two tickets mm-hmm. to the movies. Yeah. So well, and that's the other thing too is you know okay it it, it is kind of a, it is on the higher end of prices for some of the video on demand stuff that's already been oh out. sure it's already been out but you're buying the movie once and I know for my I, in my instance I use my uh, I pay I pay for the Disney Plus uh, service uh, my parents use it and then my sister and my brother in law use it mm-hmm. if I were to do this and I'm and I'm kind of on the fence with it you know I kind of want to see it but I'm like not jump chomping at the bit to see it so it's kind of like yeah you know if some if if my parents or my sister and brother-in-law won't say they want to see it I, you know i'll pony up the money and, and pay for it and but that's the thing i pay for it and then also my girlfriend uses it so that's one two three four five six people use the account yeah you know you pay thirty dollars six people can see the darn thing and that's not counting anybody if you have a watch party over at your house yeah no absolutely so if everybody throws in five bucks or whatever yeah. the, you, you pay for the cost of yeah it. So, like, I, I don't really have an issue with this. No. And I think you, you brought up another good point. If Mulan takes off, mm-hmm. would Black Widow do this as well? I can see it happening, you know. Oh, I fully see it happening. There's a there's a larger market to see the, the Black Widow movie than I would say to see the Mulan movie. Oh, absolutely. The Mulan movie, while I'm sure it's going to be good, it's kind of more niche, I feel. It's, it's partially for the nostalgia for those like myself who saw it in theaters way back when when it came out in like 99 i think mm-hmm. or for somebody who really likes the story or for somebody who wants to introduce it to their kids you know whereas with black widow i mean look at the box office numbers marvel brings in money yeah you know i there i think there's absolutely a market for it but i think disney wants to test it with something that they think will do relatively well and they won't but they don't want to lose money on because it's an unknown thing this is the first time they're doing it yeah other studios have been doing it but it's kind of more family movies it's sonic it's uh trolls world tour you know it's some of these other films you know that didn't get a full run this is one that never got a run that hasn't gotten a run so it's kind of disney's litmus test like i said to say is this going to work because they don't you don't necessarily want to go gung-ho and do a triple a you know, block, oh, box, sure. box office smash if it's going to be a flop and nobody's going to buy the darn thing. Yeah, and especially with Mulan, they've already had an animated version. Right, they've already had an animated version, and that's the other thing, too. The instant this hits Disney+, Plus, it's going to be on torrent sites. It's gonna. It's. I'm not recommending anybody do it. Right. Of course. But it's gonna be out there for for people to get for quote unquote free. Yeah. I mean, like you, you touched upon, this is gonna be a litmus test to see if it works. Mm-hmm. The only thing we know as we are recording, Regal Cinema is claiming they're gonna be back open August 21st. I believe. I believe so. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see how this is gonna go because if they can't debut in the box office under the COVID era. Mm-hmm. 
this might be an alternative. Yeah. And like I say, I don't really have a, a problem paying for it, especially no. especially when you bring up a point too. If you share your Disney Plus account, mm-hmm. we'll talk to everybody you share it with. Yeah. And would they be willing to throw in yeah, on it? Yeah, so it, exactly. So it's not just one person per se. If, if you're having multiple people in your house, sure. Like ask them, hey, it's movie night. Do you want to watch a movie for five bucks? There's six of us in the house. Sure. Simple math. Yeah, and I and I think it also works for some people. Like I remember when I was in college, uh, I went to a university where there was no movie theater in the town. Mm-hmm. That the nearest movie theater was, I want to say, like a half hour drive away. Right. Which you know, for some people, where that maybe in that instance. You know, paying a twenty, twenty-five, thirty-dollar fee to watch a movie on HBO Max, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime, Netflix—you know, CBS All Access—pick your streaming service. I think if it's a case of I can pay, you know, I can build into my grocery budget that week and buy a box of popcorn mm-hmm. and make sure I have a beverage, and then pay thirty dollars and watch it at—you know, twenty to thirty dollars and watch it at home and save myself. The money to go to the theater, if, if, so for gas, the ticket, the, the refreshments, if you want to get that, it, you might end up saving money. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is this has a lot more upside than people are giving credit for. Mm-hmm. I know people heard that price and were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, and it is it is, is a bit shocking at first, admittedly, but when you look into it and you kind of do some thinking, it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So I have no issue with that. And I will say this. If Mulan takes off mm-hmm. and does gangbuster numbers, Black Widow will debut on oh i'm sure yeah i i fully think that if we're at that point when they're supposed to release it in november Mm -hmm. if theaters are not back to 100 percent where disney feels they want to go with it Mm -hmm. this is going to be a viable option yeah guarantee yeah uh moving on to some netflix stuff i got a chance to watch uh the transformers war for cybertron siege thought it was a movie uh it's not it is a believe it's six episode series oh okay i thought it was a movie too yeah it, it plays like a movie honestly if you were to like record the episodes and, and stitch them together it plays like a movie uh six episodes about 24 minutes a piece so it's very easy to watch very quick uh, i gotta say not the hugest transformers fan i've seen some of the original series i've seen some of the newer ones when they debuted and whatever you know i'm a big fan of beast wars you know seen most seen most of the movies uh, the michael bay films for free haven't paid a dime for any of them but i've seen all of them for free uh gotta say I enjoyed the hell out of it. It's okay. A, it, you know, it was a little confusing at first because it feels like they're jumping in from some point, maybe in a previous series. But once you get into kind of the meat of the story, it's a great show. It's very dark. It's very gritty. It is not your Saturday morning Transformers. Okay. It is very, you know, so I can't wait to see where they go with it. It's got a lot of interesting stuff going with it. And the teaser at the end, I won't spoil it, but I want to know what the hell that was. And I don't mean that in a bad way. You hear something, you don't necessarily see something, and I I want to know when they're coming out with the next one because, God damn it, I want to know. I, I'm excited to see it. I've been tied up with Umbrella Academy. Sure. But I have not seen anything sure. else. Sure. In fact, I finally got caught up on Doom Patrol, which was fantastic, uh, last night. So I definitely want to check that out. But. Yeah, no, very good. If you're a fan of Transformers, you'll love it. If you haven't seen Transformers in a while, you'll I, you'll I anyone will enjoy it. Okay, definitely want to check that. Also, lastly, in some more Netflix news, there is a Splinter Cell animated series coming uh, based off of the long-running Tom Clancy video game, uh, and it is in the works with the John Wick creator. Oh, boy. Uh Uh-huh. So uh, Ubisoft and Netflix are partnering for an animated series adapting the Splinter Cell video game franchise. 
Uh, and then Derek Kolstad, the writer behind the John Wick movies, will write and executive produce the series. Uh, according to Variety, it has received a two-season, 16-episode order from Netflix. It's been lo- This is one of the you know video game movie franchises that's been in long development. Uh, for a while, it was set to there was a film set to star Tom Hardy uh, in it, but I guess that's not active anymore active yeah they kind of got put on hiatus i'm not sure why it wasn't anything covid related no it's, it's, the it's project was stalled yeah it's just one of those things it was in development for so long that they just kind of passed on it of course it's a lo- it's a long running i th- want to say the original game debuted on like xbox original and then like playstation 2 or something like that long running hmm. stealth game franchise very a bunch of novels you know and a whole bo- lot of successful video games you know kind of really I don't want to say revolutionize the cells genre, but like added a new facet to it. Okay. So very interested to see what they do with this. And, and you know, you got, you got the guy who wrote the John Wick movies involved. You know, you got my interest. Yeah. I was going to say Ron from three fed nerds probably just stopped the episode. Yeah. Cause he's not a big fan, but no, it definitely has my interest about it. And especially I, I'm very shocked. They're mm-hmm. doing animated. Yeah, but. no, it, it, it should be real interesting. They got a whole bunch of stuff. You know, they're doing a whole bunch of video game stuff with Netflix. I mean, they've got the uh, prequel uh, series for The Witcher coming. Uh, they're also developing a Cyberpunk 2077 anime. That's the upcoming video game from CD Projekt Red. They're also doing a, a Dragon's Lair movie starring Ryan Reynolds. You know, so Disney's got Marvel. HBO Max has got Warner Brothers. And it seems that Netflix has got video games. Hey, if if it provides great content, don't matter where you can find it. I mean, it, people will flock to it, and definitely, I'm a, I'm intrigued by that. Yeah, no, so am I. I'm just kind of hoping that they get one of the voice actors to play Sam Fisher in the video games to voice him in the series. Because hey, why not? Oh, that'd be pretty dope. I'd say so. Definitely. So for my one shots, uh, just very quickly, it was announced that for the Avengers game at Marvel that Spider-Man is going to be a uh, playable character for the PlayStation version? Yes, and uh, he is going to be the only console-exclusive character. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, it stinks for me because I do not have a PlayStation. I'm an Xbox guy. but My guess is going to be it will be exclusive for a time. I'm guessing maybe one year. Uh, and then it will go over to the Xbox folks. I know something similar happened because when Destiny and Bungie were owned by Activision, Activision had a deal with PlayStation and Sony where all of they got Sony got all the exclusive. They got a whole bunch of exclusive stuff. They got stuff before Xbox and all this. But after a while, you know, it, I think after a year, all the PlayStation exclusives ended up on Xbox. I think it's going to be another instance like that. And plus the other thing too, they said it's not going to impact any story or any you know game progression or anything. It's just like a cosmetic thing. Hmm, very, very interesting. So that's going to be something to check out. I know that the beta version, I believe, for uh, the Avengers Square Enix game is supposed to be dropping very soon. Yeah, I, within the next couple of days. And yeah. I, I know you're bummed that you know, uh, Xbox isn't getting Ben Riley as an exclusive character. Oh, I'm crying. I'm crying every night about that. I will say, though, his costume was very dope. There was a poll up by Comic Book Keepers about that. Okay. Because uh, it was Spider-Man Day not too right. not too long ago. Right. And obviously, if you listen to the show long time or if you're just tuning in for the first time, I am not a Ben Riley fan at all. That's why I, I said that. I hate the Clone Saga. That is one of the worst periods of Spider-Man comics ever. Uh, so that being said, yeah, you can keep him away from it, but you can keep his suit. Sure. Because when he was Spider-Man, he had a cool suit. I'm not going to okay. lie about that. I, I can't front about that. I'm just saying, I'm just hoping they they use the suit from the PS4 video game, because if, if not, what the hell are you doing? 
Oh, they got to. They, yeah. they have to. So, yeah. so that being said, very quick, Pat, who's your favorite Spider-Man? Uh, I see. I got it because it was. I was aware of who Spider-Man was, but I really didn't get into it until the Ultimate Spider-Man stuff came out. Mm. You know, and I remember going to local libraries and picking up the trade paperbacks. And every time, you know, because at that point, I didn't understand the concept of, like, release dates, and they just don't. I, I just kind of figured, oh, every time I go, there should be a new one. Mm-hmm. You know, I always remember going to the library and searching the uh, catalog at the online at, on the computer at the library, Ultimate Spider-Man, and checking and switching it to any of the other ones that were in immediate driving distance that my mom was willing to drive me to, because at that point, I could not drive. Gotcha. Uh, you know, searching for any of the local libraries for, like, okay, I just read Volume 1. Who's got Volume 2? I just read volume two. Who's got volume three? So for me, it's got to be the ultimate Spider-Man, you know, that version of Peter Parker. Yeah, for me, I mean, I grew up on Peter Parker. I do love Miles Morales. I love that character. Uh, Even Ghost Spider, which I'm not a Gwen Stacy fan from the 616 universe. I love that character, too. Like, there's so many different ways you can tell the Spider-Man mythos in other characters. Sure, sure. Because Spider-Man, to me, is the ultimate superhero because no matter what, his powers, while he does have them, he his power is his will. Yeah. And to be the ultimate underdog in every situation, yet he finds the way to win. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he relates to so many heroes. Also what Ultimate Spider-Man did with Gwen Stacy. Holy shit. Yeah, that was... Oof. Ultimate Spider-Man is just a great run in period, mm-hmm. like everything. But like I say, for me, is just like I grew up on Peter Parker... I always love that character. Even Spider-Man 2099. Sure. I, yeah, no, that, that one was cool. I remember there was a video game where he was featured in. That was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, like, I remember during that time period, like, I thought it was crazy they were doing the 2099 series. And, sure. And it started out pretty strong. And, you know, you have mixed opinions about sure. that. Sure. But I always, I always thought that Spider-Man was cool. Miguel O'Hara, I believe. Um, just been, It's been so long since I've read about that. But, yeah, like I said, for me, it's basically anybody but Ben Riley Because <laughs> I can't stand the Clone Saga. Like, I'm sorry. No purpose in comics. Like, I understand it was a cool idea in the 70s. Sure, but, hey, there was sure. a lot of different ideas then. A lot of weird stuff in the 70s. And then the fact they tried bringing it back in the 90s. Yeah, and, yeah. like I said, I was never happy to see Norman Osborn show up in a comic. <laughs> and when Ben Riley got disintegrated, it was amazing. Like, yeah, if you want a homework assignment, go find that at your local comic book shop on me. But I still want to talk some more comics. Because over the San Diego Comic-Con weekend, Mm -hmm. it was announced that Tom Taylor was doing this tease about injustice. We didn't know what it was. Okay. Well, we finally found out what it was. He's doing Injustice Zero Year. Hmm. So this is going to be available, I believe, on the digital uh, platform. So uh, wherever you find your digital comics... They're going to be doing it, uh, I believe they're doing uh, a few chapters at a time, like hmm. I'm looking at the DC solicitations for this week, and they have the first three issues up, okay. and it's digital first. Well, we know if you know anything about the Injustice storyline, you know how this is going to end. Yeah, so this is going to be very, very Ooh. interesting to see. Tom Taylor does amazing work, period, so, yeah. and his Injustice stuff has been yeah. stellar. I'm still holding on hope for an Injustice Spider or Snyderverse. Mm. I know it's me, Nick from Epic Film Guys, and a they few can do other it. They people. can do it animated. They can do it animated. I don't, I don't know if it would work uh, theatrically, like a, like a live action. I could I could see him doing an animated version. But you know, I think that if they actually were going to do the Snyderverse, like depending on what you feel about the movie and when, if it's successful when it comes back, and, sure, and sure. There, if there, if are all the talk they're saying about bring back the Snyderverse, just let him do Injustice and let him go crazy there. That's his storytelling. It will work. It will be fine there. Just you can't have him do the mainstream books, in my opinion. Like 
it's hit and miss. It's very polarizing. We can save that for another episode. But for what they're going to do with the Injustice uh, storylines, I'm excited to see what Tom Taylor is going to do. The, the books have been fantastic, so I have to highly recommend them. And if I have to give my picks to the local comic shop, staying in D.C., it's a big Batman week. Okay. Because uh, Batman 96 is out. The Joker War is still taking off. Oh, boy. So it's going to be crazy. But the book that caught my eye is Death Metal Legends of the Dark Knights. Oh, boy. Because if you've been reading anything, and I'm going to give a very quick spoiler warning here. Yeah. Because it got leaked. You find out the identity of the Robin King. Yeah. And it is a young Bruce Wayne. Oh, boy. So perfect. It makes sense. Um, how he has a cooler name than the Batman Who Laughs is beyond me. But who knows? I'm cool with it. I I can't wait to see what this character is going to do. And I, you- I read a blurb uh, on IGN about the issue and kind of his, you know, the the Robin King backstory. And I gotta say, it is the craziest friggin' thing I've read in quite some time. Oh, it's so messed up. Just the premise and what his backstory is and and what he did. I, you know, this whole you know Batman who laughs and his origin story and everything else is nutty. And every time I don't think they can top themselves, they do. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. So that is my pick for DC. And my Marvel pick is Empire 4. Okay. Because this, I'm just reading, it's always an interesting book, no matter what it's going to be, when it makes the front page of Marvel Comics yeah. on, on Marvel.com. And reading, I'm going to give you another spoiler warning. Empire 4 is the wedding of Hulkling and Wiccan, mm. which I, I I wasn't sure if that had happened before in the comics. I, th- I think it might have been alluded to. It's been a while since I've read Young Avengers and anything involving. Mm-hmm. But with Empire, obviously with Hulkling being such a uh, very important figure in the story, that the fact that they're actually going to be doing the wedding I think is a very cool issue. I think it's a very cool idea. And we're going to see like a, a Marvel wedding issue, which if you know anything about Marvel weddings – they're always done very well, like for the most part. Like the yeah. Sometimes you get a little crazy thing where a villain tries ruining it. I know, like the wedding of Cyclops and Jean Grey was done very well. Yeah, like that one was yeah. always one of my favorites. Always when Peter Parker married uh, Mary Jane. The North Star wedding too was very cool too. Mm-hmm. Like they they do a very good job with it. So I think this is gonna be something worth picking up at the store. So definitely go check it out um, and just go over to your local comic book shops. Go give them some support. Yeah. They can definitely do it. I got to go over. I got to see if I can find Hotel Oblivion. Ah. I need to do some follow-up reading for the Umbrella Academy and then compare and contrast. Maybe we'll do that for a future episode. Who knows? But definitely, when in doubt, support your local comic shops and support your local comic book podcast. Shout out to Cheers to Comics as always. So that being said, the music you heard on this episode of the ODPH is that of Shout at the Robots. I know I've been shouting a lot, but hey, it's a shouting episode, and they have music that you definitely want to shout to and sing along to. Where do you find out about them, Pat? Where? Uh, com. Right on. You go over to the music section, you find out about them, you find out about Fair City Fire, you find out about Floodlands, you find out about Second Suitor, and all the great bands you hear on the ODPH. Also on the ODPH webpage, you can check out the ODPH directory, which has links to friend of the show, including Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, who Pat has still not accepted his apology for Ratchet and Clank. Goddamn right I haven't. And you can also find out what he's up to on his YouTube channel, Off the Cuff Gaming, and you can check out everything going on at Excite Wrestling. Drive Up Wrestling is happening. Mm-hmm. Now, we are going to be conflicted, and I almost mentioned this in one shots. Yeah. it The drive-up show is going to be taking place during DC Fandom. Ah. So I'm trying to talk to Johnny Moose into allowing me to have the Wi-Fi so I can do both. I'll be doing it from my phone either way because I'm, I'm super excited about that. We got a little teaser trailer about, but nothing super yeah. 
noteworthy to write home about. No. Except the uh, John Williams theme. It yeah, is, the John Williams Superman theme. It was pretty epic. It actually gave me a little goosebumps for fandom when that comes out. All that's going to be happening on the 22nd, but if you want to find out about the Excite Wrestling's Drive Up Wrestling show, which if you're not living in the 607 and you can't get tickets, I believe they're going to be streaming it as well. Oh, you cool. Fi- you find out all that information on ExciteWrestling.com, and you find that on the ODPH directory. You can also find organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter. You can find organizational links for voter registration. You can find all the amazing pod groups we are in via their pod chaser pages. So, of course, shout out to Alternate Reality Radio. Shout out to Pod Nation. Shout out to the Legion of Independent Podcasts. Shout out to the Apocalypse community, which, by the way, has a very big pod raid going on this week. And shout out to hashtag 607 Podcast and our friends over at 8122 Productions, Mike C. from Horizon 607, Rich, Ron, and hashtag Big Natty Cool. Still on Twitter, Pad. Oh, boy. Still on Twitter. And everybody at 8122productions.com and their Patreon is catching fire yet again. $1 gets you in the door. $3 gets you a comfy seat at the table. They have got a lot of stuff coming up in the next few weeks. So if you are not signed up, get familiar, get signed up, and enjoy all that content for $1 gets you in the door. Plus, on the ODPH webpage, you can check out twitch.tv slash 607podcast, which Rich and myself are going to be doing the wrestling show 3FNW live every week on Twitch. Oh, okay. So you never know who's going to stop by. Pad might come down for an episode. Coach Duffy wants to come in and talk AEW. <laughs> so that'll be an episode to to set your DVRs or however you can record streaming on. It's going to be a fun time. All of that and so much more you can find at OchoDuroParleyHour.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. 70 days. Still no HBO Max app on Roku or Amazon Fire. 21 days, still no Peacock app on Roku or Amazon Fire. Nobody has better stats than Padawan J in the business. Nobody. At me at OD Parlay Hour to argue that. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. (laughs) 